This sermon was recorded at Church of the Ascension, an Anglican parish in Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania, whose mission is to be a worshipping community that equips God's people and shares Christ's healing with a broken world. For more information, please visit ascensionpittsburgh.org. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word once again, and we pray that you would give us ears to hear, hearts to receive, minds to understand, and the wills to do and to be all that you would call us to be and to do for you. In Jesus' name, amen. The sense of longing that people have to belong and to be known and loved is, I believe, a fundamental part of being human. And it's hardwired into all of us. Today there is, as there has always been, a deep, visceral, spiritual hunger for intimacy. In our increasingly virtual world, we need something more than virtual connectedness. My goodness, don't we know that after these many months? It is good to be here together in person. There is a groaning within our very souls for intimacy with God as well as with other people. As I say, there's nothing new about this uh, sense of longing. Uh, St. Augustine described it years ago as our hearts being restless until they find their rest in God. It's into this reality that St. Paul's words come to us this morning. Our epistle reading from the second chapter of uh, Ephesians is in three sections. And the first, verses 11 and 12, address the reality of alienation. Paul exhorts us to remember. Here's how Eugene Peterson puts it in the message. It was only yesterday that you outsiders to God's ways had no idea of any of this, didn't know the first thing about the way God works, hadn't the faintest idea of Christ. You knew nothing of that rich history of God's covenants and promises in Israel, hadn't a clue about what God was doing in the world at large. Paul sets the scene of how so many people for so long were alienated from God and from each other. He paints a bleak picture of isolation, of hopelessness and godlessness. Again, sadly, there's nothing new under the sun. It could be a description of today with our cancel culture, cancel God uh, ideas. Everything's about me. Well, Paul describes two groups of people, those who are far off, the Gentiles, that is the non-Jews, and those who are near, the Jews, God's chosen people. Neither are let off the hook and both end up in the same camp. All need to know God through Christ. Indeed, there is no other way for us to know God. Those who were near, the chosen people, had lost the plot. Whereas they were supposed to be a light to the nations, instead they were finding their identity in who they were not. They were not like those terrible Gentiles. And it's possible for us to fall into a similar trap of self-righteousness today. We who are Christians, we who experience a certain nearness to God, may look down on those who are not like us. We need to take care 
lest we take an arrogant stance. Such a prideful position can come from being, well, Americans, or professionals, or Anglicans, or whatever it is that makes us think that we are better than others, or somehow deserving of a special place before God because of who we are based on anything other than who we are in Christ. You may recall the prayer of the Pharisee, O Lord, I thank you that I'm not like the tax collector. The trouble is that we who are familiar with that story Jesus told, read that and pray, O Lord, I thank you that I'm not like the Pharisee. One of the things I so appreciate about the scriptures is that as well as them being so lofty and inspiring, sometimes hard to understand, sometimes maddening, and sometimes just plain weird, through all the various writings and books, there is a rootedness and a very refreshing, sometimes even brutal honesty about the way things really are. Whereas we might like to think that most of us are basically good people who occasionally make errors of judgment, or perhaps that most of us are moderately nice, middle-class, well-educated people who are gradually improving themselves, the Bible presents a much-needed reality check. As we were reminded in last week's scripture from the Old Testament prophet Amos, the standard for being the people of God is God's plumb line, not how we might compare ourselves to other churches or other people but how we are compared to God's vision and calling to radical love and justice. Without Christ, St. Paul reminds us, we were alienated, lost, and separated from God. Well, in the second section, verses 13 through 18, Paul continues with, but now. But now, in Christ Jesus, you who were once far off have been brought near. The message of hope and peace and reconciliation with God is both for the Gentiles who are far off and for the Jews who are near. The Jewish nation, the Jewish people have been given the law as a gift and through it were called to be a holy, godly nation to show the other nations what godliness was like, indeed who God was like. They were meant to be a blessing, they were meant to be a light to the nations. However, the law became a basis for hostility. They came to despise the Gentiles for not having the law, and the Gentiles despised the Jews for hating them, and God's good gift became reason for hatred between races. Preacher and teacher, the late John Stott, wrote this, the tragedy of Israel is that she forgot her vocation, twisted her privilege into favoritism, and ended by heartily despising, even detesting, the heathen as dogs. Jesus came to tear down the divisions, to deal with the alienation and put an end to the hostility. Here, verses 14 and 15 again, this time from the message. The Messiah has made things up between us so that we're, no, we're now together on this, both non-Jewish outsiders and Jewish insiders. He tore down the wall we used to keep each other at a distance. 
He, repeat, he repealed the law code that had become so clogged with fine print and footnotes that it hindered more than it helped. Then he started over. Instead of continuing with two groups of people separated by centuries of animosity and suspicion, he created a new kind of human being, a fresh start for everybody. And how did God do this? Verse 16, Christ brought us together through his death on the cross. Christ brought peace into the midst of the hostility and replaced alienation with intimacy. Christ is our peace. Not just he gives peace, but he is peace. Well, the third and final section of our reading begins verse 19, so then. And what follows is remarkable. We're no longer strangers and aliens, but we are citizens with the saints, citizens in God's kingdom. And more than that, we are family members of the household of God. And more even than that, we are being built into a dwelling place for God. And we means the church, us, all of us, together. It's important that we hear the challenge of these words. Paul, the author of this letter, St. Paul the preacher, is also in a very real sense Paul the prophet. Indeed, the role of the preacher is always to balance the prophetic with the pastoral, to speak the truth in love. As Father Kevin reminded us a couple of weeks ago, the Old Testament prophets can be understood as disturbed people who disturbed people. And this morning, the prophetic voice of the Apostle Paul should disturb and challenge us. For so long as church is merely some place with good music or a great kids program, or you fill in the blank, whatever you like, then we can be the all-American consumer and shop around until we find a church that we like. And when we tire of it or someone offends us or someone's politics differ from our own, well, we can go and find a new one. And sadly, people do. Some have. But if church really is about being fellow citizens and family members and a building where one stone quite literally supports another, well, that changes things. There's more to church than meets the eye. You may have come this morning, well, you may have come for all kinds of reasons. I don't know why you've come. Uh, maybe you'll tell me afterwards. But you may have come hoping to be wowed by the preaching. Well, I'm, I'm very sorry for any uh, disappointment. Or maybe you've come hoping for a miracle or a vision. And while I hope you are and will catch a glimpse of God's vision for his people, every Sunday will probably not offer some shiny new dramatic miracle. Although, honestly, those with humble, attentive hearts and eyes will likely see God's miraculous work all over the place. It's possible to judge the church only on what it does, its activities, its programs, its buildings, etc. 
And many of these things can be measured with statistics and pie charts and graphs and numbers. And sometimes that's not necessarily a bad thing to do. But if that is all that we do, we're in danger of missing the point about who we are. At one level, the church, the people gathered in this place, well, I look out and I see a pretty regular set of sinners. That is, people who, like the rest of society, demonstrate the human propensity to mess things up. That pretty much describes us, doesn't it? But on another level, a much deeper level, the church is an intensely spiritual, connected, living body of people in whom, and with whom, and through whom, God is at work by the power of the Holy Spirit. Now that is miraculous. So instead of thinking of church only in terms of what it does, we need to think of church in terms of what it is. There's a fancy word for this. It's called ontology. What the church is, is far wider, deeper, higher, and more significant than what it merely does. Eugene Peterson writes this, the beingness of church is what we're dealing with. Church is not something that we cobble together to do something for God. It is the fullness of him who fills all in all, working comprehensively with and for us. Now, stick with me. I know some of you are sleepy and it's kind of warm. Verses 14 to 18 are all about what God has done for us in Christ, not about what we do for him or for anybody else. It is Jesus who breaks down the dividing walls of hostility. It is Jesus who brings us together, brings us home, brings unity, and reconciles us to God. That's the nature of this peace that St. Paul is writing about. Now, having said this, what the church does, well, that also matters. And sadly, too often, there's a disconnect between who we are as church, with Jesus as our peace, and what we do as church, which may be far from peaceful, far from united, far from that plumb line. I think we need to grasp that peace is not a program or a strategy or an idea. It is a person. Jesus is our peace. And Jesus kind of gets in our faces. He's always relational. And as such, Jesus treats us as the persons who we really are, made in God's image, deeply beloved, unique, and with that, he doesn't force himself on us. Jesus does not wave a magic wand and eliminate all hostility. Rather, he has broken down the barriers and invites us, calls us, implores us to walk close to him and to one another. I wonder who comes to mind that Jesus would like you to draw closer to. Jesus brings us into a life of real connectedness and intimacy and love. 
And the way he does this, shockingly, is through the church. This is our prophetic calling. We are to be his instruments of reconciliation and peace and justice here in Pittsburgh or wherever you live as we constantly point people towards Jesus, our reconciler, our peacemaker, and the just judge. Weekly attendance, giving money, using our gifts, this is all good stuff. But being part of the church that St. Paul is talking about here goes so much deeper. When you think of stones in a wall, each one is supporting and supported by another, and without which the stones would fall. Well, that is how the church is. I wonder who are the people in the church, maybe here this morning, that you are in real relationship with outside of your immediate family. Perhaps it's those in your community group, or maybe it's those among whom you use your gifts and serve in ministry. There are many ways. These are some of the ways that we build the church. This is what being living stones looks like. In the book of Hebrews, we find this challenge. Exhort one another every day that none of you may be hardened by the deceitfulness of sin. And sin is very deceitful. And it does harden our hearts. And so we're exhorted to exhort one another each day. So how can we do that? Because if that's going to be a reality in our lives, then using St. Paul's three analogies, we've got to be deeply connected as citizens of the kingdom of God, as family members of the church family, and as stones in the walls of his church. I wonder, are there people here at Ascension that know you sufficiently well? Being in real relationships with one another is a step of faith. It, it can feel messy. It may be inconvenient. It often is. Are you connected to others in the church family that have seen your sin, who really know you, and from whom you do not hide how easily we love to wear masks. Not these pandemic masks, I know, but the masks that we hide behind so nobody really sees what I'm like at my weakest. And do you create opportunities for others to exhort you? Or do we put walls up? Have you given permission to others to do so? Because I think that's how it works. We're not just to go around willy-nilly pointing fingers at people. This is what comes out of real relationship, real vulnerability. I've done this. I meet uh, regularly two or three times a month with two brothers in Christ for this very purpose. We've been exhorting one another for more than 15 years. The Christian faith is not merely some private or personal thing. Rather, it is about being a member of a new society, a new community, a new family, the very stones of a new temple. Being part of a regular human family 
it's hard work and it, and it requires patience and grace and a, a willingness to listen and say sorry and make amends when we mess up, which we all do. Likewise, being part of God's family requires these things and more as we live out our calling to be prophetic in the world, as we see the vision of that which God calls us to be, and as we take up our commission to work for justice in the world and to share the good news of Jesus Christ. We can only ever do this effectively as we depend on the empowering presence of the Holy Spirit to live as the people we are in Christ for the sake of others. Being connected in the way that St. Paul describes is often not easy, it's often not comfortable. But I am convinced that it is the only way we can truly be the church that God calls us to be. The church that ontologically we already are. The way God has set things up in the church is for us to be built together, notwithstanding all our weaknesses and foibles and failings and sinfulness. The good news is that with Christ Jesus himself as the cornerstone, he will hold it all together. May we have the courage to be the church that we are in Christ. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, we remember this morning who we were without Christ, alienated from you, separated from one another, and having no hope. This morning we again give you thanks for Christ, who is our peace, and for his reconciling work on the cross. Help us not to live any longer as strangers and aliens. Help us to be the citizens of your kingdom and the members of your household that you have made us to be. Build us up, we pray, into your holy temple. Give us courage to be the people you've made us to be, that together, we may be a dwelling place for you, Lord God, and a place where those who are far off and those who are near may find your peace, your healing, your love, your forgiveness. Help us to risk being vulnerable enough to be deeply connected to you and to one another. We ask these things in the name of Jesus, our cornerstone. Amen.